But how many of you guys know what an audible is? Have you ever heard that expression before? We're calling an audible. That's a sports phrase. It means this, if you're into football. Whenever you are lining up to play and run a play, and the defense, the people on the other side of the scrimmage line, they're in a strange formation that scares you, you can do two things. You can call timeout, which is what we did at my high school. We weren't sophisticated enough to have a bunch of plays in our, in our playbook. Or you can do what professionals call this, call an audible. That means you give some secret code and everybody knows you go to this play, right? Well, this morning we're calling an audible because the air condition is broken. We didn't know that it would be broken, but God did. And nothing takes God by surprise, and we roll with his providence. I was telling somebody earlier, God's providence, which is it's not the capital of Rhode Island, Rhode Island only, it, it means God sovereignly and, and meticulously overrules uh, all of creation. He rules all of history. He, he rules the stain that's on our shirt. He rules empires that rise and fall, every angel, every animal, every uh, human being, all are under his power. And so God ordained from eternity past that we wouldn't have an air this morning. Uh, and we're going to go with providence because providence is always our friend. Amen? So here's what we're going to do. I have been going through the book of Mark, uh, the Gospel of Mark, for weeks now. And we were in the middle of chapter 13, which is this thick, dense treatment on eschatology, which is a fancy word that means the study of last names. And uh, I was really excited to preach that message this morning. But I'm not going to preach it this morning because it's a longer message. It's got more details. It's got a little bit of history in it. And I need my PowerPoint slides. And we don't have that. So what's in your bulletin? It's an honor. Next week we'll be inside. We're willing. You can pray. The maintenance tickets, the AC fix, we'll be back in there. But for this morning, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 22. So you can make your, if you have a device, you can turn on and Flip over to Matthew's Gospel. I apologize, it's not in the bulletin, but we didn't have enough time for that. So Matthew chapter 22, and we're going to look at a parable that Jesus told. A parable is just a word that means to throw down beside. Jesus would throw down stories beside truth to help people like you and me to understand them better and to know what he's getting at. And that's the case here. So turn to Matthew chapter 22, and while you turn there, I want to tell you a story. When Sarah and I, when I finished seminary in Southern California, and we moved back to Ormond Beach, our church that we came from, uh, we were all about living on mission for Jesus. We were in a new neighborhood, we had new neighbors, we wanted to get to know them. And so Sarah met our neighbor, and it turns out she was wanting to get in shape, and so her and Sarah decided to start this running club. Every single morning, I end up. And then I got the hour of the morning, like 5 30 before sun came up, they would go run, and they started recruiting other guinea pigs. I mean, other people that would get up and crack it on and run with them. And so they were, eventually, every morning, they were running off the crowd. She was killing them. Getting to know this neighbor that came to our church. It was really cool. Well, one morning, Sarah couldn't go, and the other person couldn't go, so it was just our neighbor, Christy. And she said, you know what? I don't want to get out of the house. I'm going to run on my own. So she did. 5.30 in the morning. It's still pre-dawn hours. It's dark. They would run down this really abandoned road that was next to an undeveloped part of the subdivision. It was kind of creepy, but they were all together, but not this morning. That girl was by herself. And she was running, and she had earbuds in it. And uh, so later that morning, she came over and knocked on the door and had a startled look on her face, and she unfolded the story of what happened. She was running, and it was, what, honey, what did you run? Three miles, five k, something like that. So uh, 
So she got to the very end where you turn around and she noticed a strange looking man that was eyeballing her. And she thought, okay, that's weird. What's this guy doing out here? No truck, no equipment to work. He just looks hot. So she turned around and ran back. And she had this sneaking suspicion that that guy's following her. So she turned around and sure enough, a woman's worst nightmare when they run by themselves in the dark, right? This guy was jogging behind her. He didn't have on athletic gear. No under armor shirts or running shoes, and he was running. And this, this girl really freaked her out. And she told Sarah, she said, I turned back around, and I got in my groove, and I ran like I had never ran in my life. And I never turned back around to track and see if this guy was gaining on me. I don't know. She said, but I ran. She had those pace setters. <laughs> she said she ran the fastest, you know, mile and a half pace, which was the way home that she's ever ran. And Sarah said, what'd you do? She said, well, I got home, I threw up, because I've never ran that hard. And she said, I'm done running, I'm not running. And I, I tell you that story because to me, that is a lot of people's experience with quote-unquote Christianity and church and religion. They think that that man that they suspect is following them, is going to get them. A lot of people have suspicions like that for God. They really think that that man in a strange way represents God. He's after me. He's trying to catch me. He's upset with me. Who knows what he's going to do when he gets me? God is chasing me. He's after me, and I'm afraid I'm suspicious. Um, and this parable, like all parables, has a surprise ending. And I love surprise endings in parables because it's never what you would quite expect. And Jesus is telling this parable to correct our false understanding of who He is. Because maybe there's somebody here this morning, and you view God a little bit like our neighbor you that man behind her. I don't really know much about God, but I suspect He's after me, He's upset, and I don't know what He's going to do if He catches me. So let's read this story together. It's going to be a shorter lesson today. Promise. Here, I'll just start my watch. There we Matthew 22, we're just going to read real, real quick the first uh, 14 verses here. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who were invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those who weren't invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all that they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment on. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Verse 13. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot, and cast him into the outer In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. 
Let's pause for a second and pray and ask God's blessing on our time together. And I failed to mention to you when I first got up here. I know it's hot. I know there's little children. That's okay. Let your kids be kids. We have ice cold waters over there. If you want to grab as many as you need for your family, okay? Let's pray and jump to this text. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning that did not take you by surprise and it reminds us what the church really is. It's not about a building. It's not about comfort or convenience. It's not really about state-of-the-art air conditioning. It's about your people who are gathered together in your name to be edified, to be equipped, to demonstrate uh, unity and love and a, and a servant-mindedness more that want to come alongside people, uh, welcome outsiders, welcome friends, uh, who become neighbors, who become family. I pray you would help us not be distracted by the heat or by anything else going around. Help us just focus for a few minutes on this passage, Lord. What you're trying to tell us about who you are, what you came to do, how we can be prepared, and how we are to respond to the gospel. And I ask and pray for your help as I, as I share it. Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So, uh, just a few truths I want to point out here, okay? Truth number one. This is... Jesus saying the kingdom of heaven is like this. When you think of the gospel, when you think of Christianity, it's good to think visually. It's good to think in analogies and metaphors and illustrations because we're visual learners. And Jesus did that. That's why he's a great storyteller. He said, when you think of the gospel, when you think of Christianity, think of this. Think of a king who threw a royal wedding for his son. Now, we're Americans, and weddings for us are, I did a wedding yesterday, and it was what, three hours? A lot of you were there. Three hours. That's kind of a long way. In the Middle East, weddings lasted seven days. Seven days. And it would be filled with festivities, with drink, with food. There would be sometimes uh, some distinguished people that were invited. So the first thing that Jesus is saying about Christianity is it's joyful. It's joyful. Remember that my neighbor, the person she saw behind her out to get her? That's what many people think about God. He's chasing me. He's after me. He's angry at me. Listen, guys, God is chasing you. But it may not be for the reason that you think. God's chasing us to capture us by His grace. And you know what? We are born to turn away from God, running away from Him as fast as our feet can carry us. And grace is God pursuing us, giving chase, not to hurt us, but to heal us. Not to curse us, to bless us. Not to destroy us, but to deliver us. That's the picture that Jesus wants us to have of the gospel. And listen, because of the religious leaders that were installed leading Judaism in that day, Jesus needed to say this. And he did multiple times. You know one of the first miracles that Jesus ever did? You know what it was? How many people know the Bible? What was the first miracle Jesus did? Water and wine. You know water and wine. Is that Jesus saying it's okay to drink? Is that what that's about? For a lot of it? That's another sermon for another day, okay? A lot of people focus just on that. That's not what I get that. Okay? Do you know what wine represented in the New Testament? Joy. It represented joy. And in the Old Testament. Joy. But what did it become? What did the kingdom of heaven become by the time Jesus was on the scene? Sad, legalistic, oppressive. We were talking about this in Mark's gospel. So much so that Jesus eventually said this temple is going to be torn down stone by stone because what it represents, the reality it was created to represent, is false. Right? Jesus is saying, no longer accurately represents who I am. It's come to represent corruption, injustice, theory, oppression, deception, and it's going to be torn down. And that was the state of religion when Jesus came. He's trying to tell people, look, 
Christianity is about joy. The kingdom of heaven is a joyful, it's like a wedding. It's like seven days of partying. Not sinful partying, joyful partying. So think of a wedding for seven days. Children, it would be like Christmas morning, seven days in a row. How would you like that? Double presents. Right? Now, so you got that in your mind? Now think of this. Let's, let's up the ante a little bit. Think of a royal wedding. A royal wedding. The king is throwing this wedding, and it's for his son. So guess what? Budget is not a problem. Spare no expense. Caviar. I used to watch when I was a kid. My parents would watch Lifestyles and Rich and Things. Some of you guys are too young to remember that. You Google it there. Uh, some British guys and boys, and he would show the lifestyles of the people that were so wealthy, money was not an option. Well, that's the picture here that Jesus is painting. The kingdom of heaven is a joyful thing. Christianity and the gospel are supposed to liberate us from oppression. God never intended for us to view uh, the gospel as a burden. It's liberating. It's, Jesus came to free us. The Bible says, if the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. We're enslaved to our sin, and Jesus came to deliver us. His burden is easy. His yoke, wait, am I getting it wrong? His yoke is easy, his burden is so that's the first point here. Keep it short. Uh, second point. The second point is this. It is offensive to God when we decline His offer. Because that's what this is. This is an invitation from the King. Can you imagine how, what a privilege it would be to get an invitation to a royal wedding? You know, they, there's been several royal weddings uh, over in Britain that Americans watch with intrigue and interest. And all these distinguished guests get invitations. And they're all wanted. The presidents want to go. Kings and emperors and queens want to go. You want to be there, man. You want to meet with them. You want to celebrate. You want to see what it's like to be loyalty. Now, can you imagine what an insult it would be if you were given a royal invitation to attend the king's wedding, the king's son's wedding? I mean, he wants to honor his son. Look, my son has a bride. So the whole kingdom was invited, right? And back then, invitations worked this way. You can send two. The first one was a save the day. Mark the calendar. Write it down. And then, the, I don't know why, this is kind of weird. But the second one will be on the day of, they would send messages. Say, hey, everything's ready, come on. So apparently what happened here was everyone received an invitation to come, and they all said, we'll mark the day, can't wait. But on the day that the wedding happened, Everyone united in the rebellion and said, no, we're not going. Now, how would you feel if you were the king wanting to honor yourself? How would that hit you? Does that drive you a little bit the wrong way? But this is what's worth on. See, this pair was filled with shock and surprises. So let me ask you a question. If you were the king and you had a royal military at, at your command, and, and you were given an insult like that, what would you do? I mean, let's be honest. I'd probably say, guys, sit Go take care of that. But look at this king's reaction. See, God is telling us something else about himself here. He is a God of extreme patience. Come on, suffering. Because, listen, how many of you who are Christian, you don't have to raise your hand, just think about it. How many times did you encounter the gospel before you believed it? How many times did you reject it? And, and had God said, that's it, 
first time you rejected his offer of salvation, if he said you're never going to be invited again, I'm finished with you. How many of us right now would be hopeless? I'd be hopeless. I rejected it all my youth, all throughout my teenage years until I was a 22 year old. And I finally turned around and figured out God's chasing me, but for, for reasons differently than I thought. I was empty, I was guilty, I was sad, I was hopeless. And God said, I've been looking for you all your life. I finally found you. But look at the uh, look at the king's reaction here. Come to the wedding feast, but they paid no attention and went off, went to his farm, went to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. Wow. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? I'm sorry. Forgive me, guys. This is part of the all. Look back at verse 3. This is the king's first reaction, okay? He gave away the feast for his son. He sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. But they would not come. Verse 3. They wouldn't come. It didn't say they could not. It didn't say, oh, we've got a conflict of interest. I'm sorry. Schedule conflict. My bad. I didn't foresee that, that conflict happening. No, they said we will not. This is why I worked at Sonic Drive-In growing up as a teenager. And a lot of the employees became disgruntled. They were really mad at our manager. He was a really bad manager. Uh, but it didn't justify what they did. They said, look, at rush hour, let's all walk out together. We'll show her. And I said, I ain't, I ain't doing that. I don't need this job. And I said, please don't do this because I don't, I don't be cooking burgers and I can't, you know. But they did. They all united and at rush hour, they took off their aprons and dropped them and dropped their spatulas and they said, see you for it, bro. And Sonic lost a lot of money that way. And I about lost my mind trying to cook, you know, triple Sonic cheeseburgers for now by myself. But what was it? It was, it was, you know what? We can't stand you. You don't want to know the way we felt about you. We are united in our hostility towards you. Because you may be our king and all, you may have the crown, but we don't like the way you rule. And is it just what happened when Jesus came? Did people welcome him? They say, we couldn't wait for the king to come. We want to be under your leadership and we want you to rule over us. No. What do they say? We will not have this man reign over us. In fact, if you remember, they chose a thief and a robber named Barabbas instead of Jesus. They said, give us Barabbas instead. He'd be a better choice than Jesus. So how did the king react? He sent another invitation. How gracious. How patient. What long suffering does king have? I would have done that. I would have destroyed all the first rejection they gave. But listen, God wants us to know uh, all of his attributes here. Jesus is patient. But do not mistake his patience for weakness. Because if you continually reject, 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 the Bible says your heart can become so calloused, or you can die in your own faith, or Jesus could return and judge you in your own faith. So look, look, look what happens. Again, he said other servants, saying, Tell us who are invited. See, I prepared my dinner. Jesus is saying, God pleads with us. God wants to reason with us. Why would you reject this? Why would you reject an offer like this? It's irrational. It's illogical. It makes no sense. It says unreasonable, isn't it? Sin doesn't make any sense. It's like trying to reason with a toddler sometimes, right? Amen. Amen. It ain't happening. Comes away with these, but they pay no attention to went off. Listen to these excuses. Work to his farm. Because that's what you want. I grew up on a farm. I mean, you know, I'd rather go to the farm and work than go to a seven-day party, right? No, 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 I wouldn't. Neither would anybody else. 
That's what the excuses are right against all the Israel. No, we got things to do, like, you know, plow field. Now, write a thesis paper. I don't know, whatever the latest excuses you can think of. But it gets worse. The rejection turns to anger, which turns to murder. Look at this. The rest seized the servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. Now, listen, the way you treat the messengers of the king is a statement about how you feel about the king, right? But I tell you what, you go tell the king, this is what we think of his offer. Sort of hard. So, how did this king respond? He was angry. Justifiably so, right? He sent his troops and destroyed those murders and murdered city. You gotta know that the people listen to this parable like, man, this is some nighttime story, isn't it? So, then the king, verse 8, said this. Because see, the king he, he, he's vindicated his justice, right? But he's he's still got a son in the army. He's still got a wedding. He's still got all these elaborate preparations that he's going out this way to make. And he wants that wedding hall to be filled with guests. So what does he say? He says in service, the wedding feast is ready, but those who are invited were not worthy. They weren't worthy. So therefore, go out into the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you can find. And isn't that a picture of how we are to live on mission for Jesus and invite indiscriminately anyone that we encounter that the Spirit leads us to converse with and invite them, both good and bad, to come to the wedding hall. So verse 10. And those servants went out on the road, they gathered all that they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. Praise God. It's like this king called Robert, right? The original invitations, and maybe it was the, I don't know, maybe it was the the movers, the shakers, the dignified, the wealthy, maybe they were invited. And they slide the king. He said, all right, no problem. I'll invite the impoverished, the marginalized, the oppressed, the weak, the poor, which is a picture of the gospel, right? So all of these people filled up the wedding hall. So it looks like this is going to turn out to be a good day for the king after all. But here's the shock. Here's the shock. So what was the first point? The kingdom of heaven, the gospel of Christianity is, is a picture of joy, liberation, freedom, forgiveness. The second point was, I don't remember what the second point was. It was, good. It was basically don't reject the offer of the king, but he's extremely patient on the suffering, right? Here's the third one. When you believe the gospel, included in that belief is coming to God on his terms. Okay? God is inviting us to return to Him, to be reconciled to Him, to be forgiven, to be cleansed, to be justified, to be declared blameless, to become part of His family, to be adopted. All those metaphors the Bible uses. But you've got to come God's way, not your way. Every other religion in the world has a way for you to be right with God. You work, you do things, you earn your way, you prove yourself, you pull yourself up by your bootstraps and show that I am worthy. Not Christianity. Christianity says you come on God's terms. He has done all the work. Your job is to believe and to repent, which requires a lot of humility. Right? The gospel is humbling. It's humbling because it says we'll never be good enough on our own, no matter what we do. The best 10 minutes of your life. I mean, all of us in here, that, everyone's had a good day. You're like, man, that, that was a pretty good day. I mean, I read my Bible, I witnessed, I, I climbed up and rescued cats out of trees, you know, uh, I aired up a flat tire for an old lady, whatever, and you're like, man, I'm crushing it today. 
the best day of your life, if you offered it to God as your righteousness, would be like laying a piece of tissue paper on the surface of the sun. It would burn up. And the Bible says that, not see anymore. It says, your righteousness is as filthy rags in the sight of God, which is a really disgusting picture. I'll let tell you what I mean here today, okay? It's to say, it's not your bad things that get you in trouble. It's your good things. It's the good things you do that you think that you think are going to earn you favor with God. He says, that's what offends me the most. And that's the last picture we see here. You've got to come to God in His terms. Check this out. Here's the shock. Last point, okay? Shortest summer I've ever preached. If, if things go the way I want them here, right? <laughs> so everyone's in this wedding banquet. Now look, guys, I love movies. Your pastor loves movies. And I love the epic part of the movie where it's so important that you get what the writer, producer, director want you to get that they actually go slow motion. You love those slow motion sequences. I do. And I have envisioned this so many times in my mind. In fact, I've looked for art that depicts this last part. I can't find any good artwork. If you can find some, email me, send it to me. So here's the deal. Wedding hall is filled with guests. Everyone's having a great time. I mean, can you imagine if you were poor, you thought you were going to go to work, but this special invitation last minute said, look, the king wants you to come to his son's wedding. You're like, dude, don't, you're messing with me. And they're like, no, no, for real. He wants you here like right now. And you've been having the best food you've ever had. The prince is going to be there. You can watch the wedding. The best wine you've ever had in your life. You're like, dude, are you for real? Yes, I'm for real. You come. And they're like, well, I'm I can't, I'm dirty. Tell me, my armpit smell. I don't have time to get ready. Don't worry about it. The king has provided everything you need, and we will robe you with a wedding garment when you get there, so that you will be worthy to be in the king's presence. He's done it all. Now to the food and the clothing. What do I do? Show me the way. So, the, the picture here, the movie, the slow motion sequence, everybody's there, and in my mind, I hear. Fine china clinking together, laughter, chat, conversation, tables. Hear people that maybe had a little bit too much wine or really laughing. I mean, everybody's happy and they're waiting to see their new prince and, and queen, I guess, or princess, yeah. They're waiting to see them. And then everything slows down to slow motion. Because here's what would happen in the Middle East. When it came for a party, a banquet, a wedding, it was customary for the king to come and inspect all his guests. I don't know why. We don't really get that in our culture, but that's what happened. So, slow motion. The trumpets. The king is coming. Hear ye, hear ye. The king is coming. Everyone prepare. And I have this slow motion picture in my mind. This regal, majestic, powerful. Maybe he's a little bit older. He's got white whiskey hair. I don't know. And, and he's, in slow motion, he, he opens the doors. And he's got this crown on his head. And everyone stands to their feet. We want the king. Thank you so much for this. Please, please be seated. And he's walking around from table to table. And he is inspecting his guests. And it's a happy day for the king. Now look, all things considered, this has been a pretty trying day. Wouldn't you say? This king's been insulted. He's been rejected. He's had to send his army out and destroy a whole village and kill all the people that rejected his offer, right? It's been a pretty trying day, you know? You could say his patience has worn thin, but it looks like it's turned out okay. So the king's walking around, and all of a sudden, he comes to this table, where this joker is sitting at the table, eating the king's food, drinking the king's wine, enjoying the king's elaborate preparations, but he's got on filthy clothes. 
mind. What a world. I mean, wouldn't this guy feel like a fool? Apparently not. This guy's like, you know what? I have worked for this king for all these years. I've lived in the kingdom. I've paid my taxes. And now all of a sudden, he's invited me to his palace because the rich people couldn't make it? Sure, I'll come. But listen, I ain't putting on your stupid garment. I'm good enough as I am. I don't need your wedding garment. You know? I'm coming on my terms. My terms. And you know what? That man's sitting there, and he thinks he is so good. Have you guys ever met somebody like this? They're going to live life on their terms. They ain't nobody telling them what to do. They're independent, aggressive, whatever word you want to use. I meet a lot of people like this in church planning. I'll come to the king's party, but I'm coming to my own clothes. And all of a sudden, in my mind, everything it gets slow motion, and then the king shows And he looks down at this scoundrel. And this guy really thinks he's something. In fact, he thinks, you know what, man, I've gotten away with this. All these other worms over here, cowering to the king, I feel sorry for them. They're just cowering, they're afraid, scary pants. He says, I know these people need to, need to be more like me. And then the king shows up and stops and looks at him. And look what he says When the king came to look at the guest, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding? The man was speechless. He wasn't laughing That's the slow motion scene that I see. And in my mind, I'm pointing out, this is, this is going to be the tragic reality of all the people who one day stand in the presence of God and they're trusting in their own righteousness and in their own goodness. And they have all these excuses that they're going to give to God as a line. They were an exception to the gospel of the nation. But when God is standing there with a crown on his head and he looks at them and he says, why? Why did you reject my provision? You know what they're going to say? Nothing. Speechless. Because the Bible says we are all without excuse. All of us are without excuse. No exceptions. And this is what this king does. I mean, if I could paraphrase, he says, How dare you? How dare you? Be in a dark spot on this joyful occasion where we're celebrating my son of God. How dare you? This is the last time you will ever insult him. And look what he does. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him, hand and foot, and cast him into the hour of darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called your children. Bind his hands so he can't resist. Bind his feet so he can never come back in here again. Cast him into the hour of darkness. His rebellion is, is finished. That's a picture of rejecting the gospel. That's a picture of what will happen to people who think they're going to come to God, to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, their terms. They're not going to humble themselves. Listen, there's only two types of sinners in the world. Humble or humble, right? All sinners will one day be humble about sinners. All of us will fall on our knees before God. Either willingly and joyfully or unwillingly. So friends, let this be a, a beautiful reminder that God's been chasing you to shower you with His grace. And Christianity is not proving your freedom. It's actually securing your freedom. And it's a joyful thing to believe the gospel and come to Christ and let it be all for you that He, that he promised He would be. But oh, what a terrible reality it 
to reject God's offer of salvation over and over. Or pretend you accept it and come on your own terms thinking that you're good enough that you can earn your way or that you have something to offer God that will appease Him. No. Jesus, Jesus is the one who is pleasing to God. It's His righteousness that we count on, right? And look, you know how amazing this King is? He didn't just give us a wedding cake, but He gave Himself. We are all participants in this wedding feast. You know who we are? We're the bride. The Bible says the church is the bride of Christ. What did He do to secure our place at the table? He laid down His very life. What an amazing, amazing truth. What a beautiful power. Who can just meditate on this morning? If you're a Christian, man, you've got more this morning. Thank Him for His patience and His long suffering. And children, I want you to hear this. God, maybe He's calling you today. Maybe He's walking by your table. Reminding you, trust in His righteousness, not your own. I remember when my kids were really little, I was reading this story to my oldest daughter. Now she's almost 13, but then she was little. I don't know how old she was. But I read this story to her and I asked her, I said, what do you think the other way guests were doing when this was happening. She said, I think they were all looking just to make sure they had on the wedding garment. Would you check yourself today? Do you have on the king's wedding garment? Or do you have on something else that you thought was cool and fat and hip and in fashion? But it's filled in the sight of God. If it's based on your works and what you have to offer. Friends, be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. It's free. It costs you nothing. It costs them Everything. He's calling and pleading with you today. Put it on. There's no reason to find anyone. I think that's cute. Let's pray. And we have a few announcements and we have a conference. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this powerful, beautiful, compelling reminder that you are a God who wants to pursue us and shower us with your grace and your provision and your love. And I pray that we would stop running from you and turn around and run from you. Because your yoke is easy and your burden is light. You promise to free us and that nothing can ever separate us from your love. Lord, we can rehearse all the, all the amazing promises that you've made. People like us who are unworthy and undeserved. But you did it anyway because you're, you're a God who is filled with grace. Filled with compassion. You're slow to anger. We thank you for that today. All of us have felt that promise of your patience. And I pray if there's anybody here that has not yet tasted your grace, may this be the day, even sitting here sweating right now, that they will cry out to you. They don't have to come to the front of this building. They don't have to even talk to anybody, even though they can. We invite them to do that. They can cry out to you right now for mercy. Lord, have mercy on me. Clothe me with your righteousness. Cleanse me. Forgive me. Be my God. Save me and deliver me. May there be people who are crying out to you right now. Those who are already in your family, may they be crying out to Thanksgiving. Thank you for doing the work, for making the provision, and for being patient and doing mercy. We thank you for all these things today. In Jesus' mighty, powerful, loving name. Amen.